now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. All right, say it with me. I've got your Backyard Millionaire Creed here. Promise yourself to invest in yourself. Promise yourself to trust your own instincts. You're not wrong. Promise yourself to never invest on an emotional basis. Always use the facts. Promise yourself to negotiate with win-win in mind. Promise yourself to find a need in your own marketplace and fill it. And promise yourself to begin with the end in mind. Always looking forward in life, but don't live there. Learn from your past. Don't spend too much time there either. And remember, the good life is lived right here in the present and you will persist until you win. Let it be. With your Millionaire Minute, I'm Chris Story. Yeah, perhaps the Beatles had it right. Maybe you should let it be. Let it be you. Let it be known you deserve to be heard. Let it be your future fortune that pulls you forward. Let it be your life is going according to your plan. Let it be because it's gonna be anyway. Let it be known you were born to live on purpose and with a purpose. Let it be today because this is your time to rise. And it be from the files of the Backyard Millionaire. I'm Chris Story. Millionaire Minute is brought to you by VBS Heating in Homer, Alaska. Online, vbsheating.com. Come see Amanda and the gang at VBS Heating. Keeping Alaska warm for over 20 years. vbsheating.com. You know, I feel like I've already won the day. Do you ever feel that way? Like, by a certain time of the day, no matter what else happens, you know it's going to be a great day. Being here with you, I feel that right now. This morning, I was reading from a variety of books. My daughter, Ashley, was in my house the other day. And in my library, we were looking for a particular book for her. And, um, oh, it's called Land Remembered. The Land Remembered by Pat O'Brien. Pat, Pat somebody or other out of Florida. Very famous Floridian writer in Florida. He's very famous. In the book called Land Remembered. And it's sort of an iconic book in our family. Everybody in our family's read it. Ashley wanted to borrow a copy. So we're in my library looking for that particular, that book. And she looked at the little table right next to my chair in the library. And she goes, are those all the books you're reading right now? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm reading from them all right now. Um, anyway, she thought that was pretty cool. And, and the reason I do that, the reason I have like maybe 10 or 12 volumes sitting there next to my, my chair, because some days... I'm just incredibly inspired to read from something and I, I want to read and it's almost like taking a lemon and squeezing and you get some you know you're gonna get some some lemon juice out of it and there's just some books that I'm just drawn to as I'll walk past it on the shelf I'm like oh I gotta get a little bit of Wayne Dyer I gotta get a little bit of uh, Gandhi I gotta get a little bit of well Wally Amos and that's what happened this morning the book my dad gave it to me in the mid 90s I want to say it was the year Zoe was born so 95 might have been a year before it's called Watermelon Magic by Wally Amos. And Wally Amos, of course, is famous for his famous Amos cookies. And he wrote this book. And it's just a bunch of little quips and, and pause. Well, let me hang on a second. Let me get it. 
It's called Watermelon Magic, Seeds of Wisdom and Slices of Life. And there's a foreword by Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield. Obviously, they're the authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Great little book. And in it is this paragraph. I think that life is a cycle and that we are all holding hands. Excuse me, circle. <laughs> We're all holding hands. As we stand in the circle, whatever you give to the circle is returned to you tenfold plus. We spend too much time dwelling on what we're losing or what we do not have. Our focus needs to be only on giving. Giving is receiving. That's Wally Amos. I love that. Wally ended up going broke. He ended up losing control of his company. He made some critical business errors. And it's, it's very, it's kind of a sad inspirational story. It's like a, you know, this rise to fame as a, as a talent agent. And he would bring a little paper bag of cookies, homemade cookies, to an, to uh, to a meeting. And it could have been with a, a music celebrity or a star of some some nature. And this is going back into the the, the 50s and 60s. And they, he became famous for those. Everybody said, "Oh, where's some of those famous famous cookies?" And then he decided to open a little cookie shop in Hollywood and just sell those cookies and see if they could. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about this, something to call brick and mortar and, and how to think about a business from a small scale that could grow, but needn't grow if you don't want it to. But so we'll talk about that a little bit later, but just kind of as it pertains to famous Amos, Wally Amos, he, he grew that little cookie stand to a second shop at a third location. And next thing you know, he was everywhere and he had negotiated with Macy's and other you know, really big stores, Bloomingdale's in New York City, to carry his cookies in in their their shops, and and so anyway, he he ended up selling out a majority of his business to a conglomerate that then ousted him, spit him out like a watermelon seed, and he would go back to the drawing board a couple more times. In fact, not that many years ago, he was on Shark Tank, and believe it or not, they rejected him. I don't understand that. I was like, come on, give me a break. It's famous Amos, take a chance on him. But just a really good guy. And all the way through his bankruptcy, all the way through his trials and tribulations that, that life would throw his way. And, and it, he took his eye off the ball. He admits that. He wasn't watching his financial house of, of cards and, and they collapsed on him. He's the first to admit that. But all the way through with a smile. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth, Where You Are with What You've Got. Speaking of where you are with what you've got, what about the big butts in the room? Oh, I like big butts and I cannot lie. You are the brothers I can't deny. <laughs> Elvis, like you've never heard him before, but I don't have any money. But I don't have any credit or worse yet. I've got bad credit. These are just some of the big butts we're going to be talking about. Here's another one. But I don't know where to start or even how. Let's take these big butts one at a time. But I don't have any money. We have a, a phrase here at the Backyard Millionaire, which is, you cannot save your way to a fortune, but you can invest your way to wealth if you can learn to save. That's step one. Oh, but I don't have any money. It's irrelevant. Yes, there are zero down deals. Yes, there are all kinds of ways to get into property investment, real estate investment without a lot of money. 
I don't, I don't subscribe to the idea that you got, you got to have money to get started. No, you don't. You have to have a desire. You have to have the willingness to learn. You have to know some people and be willing to ask them questions. Can I learn from you? What, what do they have to share with you? You have to be willing to do a lot of different things. Having money isn't a prerequisite. Having the ability to earn some money and then the skill and the discipline to save some money, that is definitely something that should be at the top of the list. So the big old but about I don't have any money isn't relevant. You needn't money have money to get started. Next big but, but I don't have any credit or worse yet, I have bad credit. Right now, you can establish credit with a prepaid credit card at almost any bank with 500 bucks or $250. You can go in and prepay on a credit card and then use that credit and then replenish it and then use that credit and go back and forth safely, securely establishing credit. Also, working with the right mortgage broker, you'll definitely find that you can establish other and alternate means of credit to include your power bills paid timely, your rents paid timely, things like that. So there's alternate forms of establishing credit. So having that big old but I don't have any credit, or worse yet, bad credit, isn't an excuse to get started. It might delay you a little while, but it shouldn't be a reason you do not even get started. That's like me saying, I don't have a six pack. I've got this, this midriff that's a little softer than it ought to be. Yeah, I just won't even get started. No, I better get started if I ever wanna have, um, you know, a six pack ab, I better get started on the sit-ups. Here's another big old butt, but I don't know where to start or how, you know? There are programs like this, The Backyard Millionaire, that comes to you absolutely free via the radio. You, If you miss it live on the radio, you can always go back to ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast and re-listen again and again. In fact, I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen, not now, but listen at some point to Sharon Lecter's conversation with me here. It's on that same podcast at ilovehomeralaska.com forward slash podcast. The way to get started and the know-how and the ability to get started all come under the same banner of learning. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to put in the time? Are you willing to ask the right questions and be curious? It all started for me. Well, I shouldn't say it all started. My ability to see a bigger life for myself, my ability to see myself as a property investor started before I had the confidence to do it. It was just a vision I had because I had it demonstrated to me. My grandparents, my great-grandparents actually, my grandparents and my parents all demonstrated to me the power of real estate. But it didn't really stick with me until I, or, or land on my shoulders until I read a book called The Buy and Hold Real Estate Strategy. And then I saw, wait a minute, for a guy like me working at a hardware store, yeah, I can get started. And reading and rereading that book was a big part of it. And the fact that Chuck Huff told me he was himself an accomplished investor, a college graduate. His son was a college grad. I mean, he, you know, he, he said to me, if you read this book, it will be the equivalent of a four-year degree in real estate. So I took him at his word. I took him at, at heart. And not having the know-how was a big old but that I got rid of. We're going to tackle a few more big butts. And we've got so much more. I've got brick and mortar. I want to talk to you about real estate investing and the secret to happiness and your inner circle when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. Earl Nightingale said, the secret to happiness is keeping your mind on the things you want and off of the things you do not want. 
Couldn't agree more. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm your host, Chris Story. Thanks for being here. I want to get back to some of our big butts in a minute, but, pun intended, I want to read a quick paragraph from Sharon Lecter's book, How Money Works for Women. And she writes, and I guess I would say this, I would put in a caveat. Yes, this book is written for women to help them better understand money and ultimately how to invest in themselves and invest into their own lives right where they are. But I think, I don't think these sentiments or these fears or concerns are limited by gender. I really don't. I, I think this is cross applicable for all of us, for both genders. She writes, how women who've lost control feel there just isn't enough time or money for my dreams. And I'm not sure how to get more of either. My partner knows more about money than I do. So I've always taken a back seat on the financial decisions. To me, it makes more sense for him to just deal with it all. Okay, that's what she's saying. Women who've lost control feel that way. Now, fast forward, how women who've taken control feel. Whether I have a partner or not, I am in charge of making my dreams a reality. I will do research, plan ahead, save more. In my relationship, I am an equal participant in making decisions about our family's finances and setting our family's financial goals. I can and I will establish my own credit and maintain a high credit score. I like that. Isn't that great? I mean, you could take away the gender piece of that. The fact that she's writing for women, and just say, yes, in general, you know, if you've not felt in control of finances or in not even just control, but even understanding them, it can make a huge difference in your life to just take back control. Oh, come on. How could I not replay Elvis singing Sir Mix-a-Lot? Come on. Uh, Willie texted in another big old butt, which is he's about to be 70 this year and he feels like he's too old. And then I would just counter that with what? Too old for what? To become all you can be, to influence, inspire, motivate somebody else, help somebody else see the pattern that's in front of them. I'd say you're just coming into an incredible age, Willie, to really make a difference in your own life and in those, those people around you. And I also know you well enough to know you're probably being somewhat facetious. Uh, here's another big old butt, but I heard you need a lot of money. Not just money, but a lot of money. Nope, that is not true. We can we can dispense with that big old butt right here. You need, I think the ability to make money, obviously you want to be able to have money set aside and saving, going back to our mantra that you, you need to learn to save, of course, but you needn't have a lot of money. But I heard debt is bad. That's a big butt. That is a massive butt. But I heard money is, or debt is bad. Debt isn't bad. Debt is leverage. Debt is, it's a little bit like saying, oh, I heard hammers are deadly. Well, they can be. Absolutely. If you hit somebody in the head or yourself in the head with a hammer, yeah, it can be deadly. But a hammer is a tool. And when used correctly, you can build a home. You can also destroy a home. You can take it apart with a hammer. So a tool can be used for good or for ill. It just depends upon what you're doing. So debt is no different. Consumer debt is a little bit like hitting yourself in the head with that hammer. You know, when you put a cheeseburger on a credit card, 
that might be a $15, $20 cheeseburger today, it could, if unchecked and not paid off at the end of the month on that credit card, become a $100, $150 cheeseburger. So consumer debt is dangerous. It's not bad relative to using credit for credit cards for credit's sake and establishing credit, earning miles and other, other points and things like that that you want to enjoy, upgrades for travel. That's fine, so long as you pay it off at the end of the month and then talk with your mortgage broker about which day of the month to pay it back so you get the maximum benefit of having a balance, but not too high a balance. All of it's a game. But using consumer debt to live on, that's, that's dangerous. That's a bad... I also say this all the time when you see people on Shark Tank or other shows or you read business biographies and people say, oh, I, I maxed out my credit cards to start this business. That is a dangerous game. It's very dangerous. And sometimes they win. And then other times, it just doesn't go so well. So you got to be careful using consumer debt. That's the debt that's dangerous, most dangerous. I will give you another example. If you use real estate-backed security debt on real estate and you have artificial time bombs built in, that can be dangerous as well. But by that, I mean do on sale, or not do on sale, what am I trying to say? A balloon payment. A balloon payment. You do, that can, you know, if you've got a two-year, three-year balloon payment, it can be dangerous if you do not have a plan to either refinance or pay it off. And that, that can be very dangerous. So that's, you have to watch out for debt bombs. But other than that, used as a tool, it's not much different than a skilled craftsman with a hammer. Here's another big old butt. But I heard real estate is over. I'm gonna address that a little bit later. We're gonna look back 20 years and then project forward 20. And we'll find out, is real estate over? Has that ever been said before? But I heard real estate's over. Here's another dangerous one. I just heard somebody talking about this the other day. This is probably even more dangerous. Somebody, a very, I would say a nationally recognized figure said, real estate always goes up. Oh, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous concept because it always over time is going to be more. However, it's that interim. It's in that valley. It's in those distressed times that if you're not prepared for and you buy into somebody's concept, oh, it's always going up. Well, over time, generally, but there are other things that you need to take into consideration. We'll talk about that more later. Here's another one. Um, how many more big butts do I have? Oh, but I heard I missed the good time to invest. And that relates to the, isn't it over? Isn't real estate over? You've not missed the good time. There's always going to be deals. There's always going to be deals of the decade. There's always going to be another opportunity. And you never want to rush in when you're not prepared. If you, if you rush in and you feel like you've got maybe six out of 10 things together, but you don't want to miss this opportunity, I would say take a beat. Hold on. Pause a second. Let's get everything together. Let's make sure you know exactly what you're doing. And remember, and never forget that with real estate, life's real treasures are often closer than you think, right in your own backyard. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. We're brought to you in part by Horizon Wireless 226-3130. Leaf and Cassandra built an incredible wireless network around the peninsula called 226-3130 and find out if they can help you today if you want the best and fastest reliable network. Let's talk about your inner circle. In my book, The Backyard Millionaire, 
Um, I outline this concept of two circles. You have two circles in life. You have your inner and outer circle. And you get to decide, even, even if you work with a jerk, if you work with somebody who you can't stand and you got to be around them at least five days a week, maybe four days a week, eight hours a day, man, what are you talking about control my inner circle? I didn't hire that fool. What you talking about? I can't control who's in my inner circle. Well, that's your inner circle by proximity. What I'm actually talking about is your, your inner circle that you have 100% control over. That's who you let in. And I'm not talking about who's close to you. I'm talking about anybody that could be um, of a negative influence, somebody who might have an infectious mind virus, nihilistic type people. You have to consciously keep them out. Consciously decide who you're going to let in on your inner circle, even if you have to work with that person. So again, back to the book, The Backyard Millionaire. August's parents do not understand what he wants to do. Now, August is the, the protagonist. He's a young guy working at a hardware store. He wants to become an investor. He wants something more from his life and for his purpose in life, but he doesn't quite know. He meets this guy who's saying, hey, I can help you. Um, let me help you invest in your own mind first and then your wallet and then your future fortune. And so as parents, I used as a, a bit of a placeholder as those, those people that you, can you imagine somebody closer to you in your life than your parents? And if they're giving you negative feedback, I mean, by, that's proximity and heart. That, that's a very close connection. I have to put a pin in this for a second and just say, this is completely contrary to the, the life I lived. So I had, I had to pick his parents on purpose. I dedicated this book to my own dad. So obviously my parents were not like the parents in this book, but I picked parents as a placeholder for somebody who's got so much influence in your life that even still sometimes you have to guard against their fears for you. And that's what was happening with August. They wanted him to do something different and stable and, and more serious in his life. They didn't want him to take these risks. They had taken risks and failed in the past themselves. They wanted to sort of protect him. So they're not bad people and certainly not reflective of my experience. My parents couldn't have been more supportive. I mean, like, let me put it this way. I told them I wanted to be a potter and they're like, great, that's wonderful. What do you think you'll do with it? I mean, they just helped me realize a dream rather than go, are you kidding me, a potter? What is this, like 1822? What do you mean a potter? What are you talking about? So they're always incredibly supportive. Uh, so, I, so I say that just to say that I use them because, the parents in this book, because, again, one of the most close connections you could possibly have. And if it is potent, if it is negative, then that's even a more difficult call to say you must call that, not the person, but the attitude out of your inner circle. So that's, that's, that's all in the book, along with a guy called Larry, and Larry works with August. And so Larry displays his own insecurities and fears and, and sort of almost jealousy of August. And so again, you know that type. You work with them. You've, you've met them or maybe you, by, by virtue of the fact that your kids are the same age, you got to spend time with these people. It's okay to have them by proximity close to you. Just don't let them or their mind virus infect you in your mind. Again, it's not easy. This takes constant work to guard against anybody who could infect your mindset with something negative or contrary. So it's just like when we talk about goal setting, one of the reasons I always say to be careful about who you tell what you want to accomplish and who you want to become, because just one negative statement, one person that, that sort of poo-poos your dream, 
it can make all the difference whether or not you become master of your own fate, master of your own destiny. So be careful about who you let in on that inner circle. Memories, keepsakes, and important pieces of your life deserve to be secure, safe, and comfortable. Downtown Mini Storage to the rescue. Hi, I'm Chris Story. Downtown Mini Storage has been keeping my valuable safe, secure, and dry for over 20 years. In fact, I like Downtown Mini Storage so much, I bought the company. Call Downtown Mini Storage at 299-7653 in downtown Homer, Alaska. Move in today and get your first month absolutely free at Downtown Mini Storage on Lake Street, across from SBS and Homer. Where are you gonna keep your stuff? Call Downtown Mini Storage today at 299-7653. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Aldous Huxley said, idealism is the noble toga that political gentlemen drape over their will to power. That's succinct. I mean, you just can't say it any straighter than that. All right, let's get into having fear or no fear, because really all you've got to fear is... Now, on, on the political scene, uh, one of the Democratic candidates is Senator Joseph Biden. Have you seen the problem he's been having? He went around and made a speech, and apparently he quoted a, I think it was a British politician, took his speech and kind of paraphrased it as his own. And then the press got on him, and then he was charged also with taking part of Bobby Kennedy's speeches. And Biden says, not to worry, he reassured his staff. He said, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> oh. now, how could I not talk about fear and not use that great, great Johnny Carson joke? How apropos today as it was then, right? Am I right? All right, let's talk about fear. I mean, could it be possible that some people have fear about money? And, and what I mean by that is having money, not the fear of lack of money, although that is its own kind of fear and can be detrimental. I'm talking about the people that fear having money. And if you're not one of those people, you do not know what I'm talking about. You're like, what are you, what? This kid's crazy, kid. He's 51, he still thinks of himself as a kid. He's a fool. But some people are afraid to amass money, to have money. And I think there's a lot of roots to that probably. Some could be based in, in how one was raised. Um, the, the love of money is evil. The root of all evil is money, that kind of thing, versus the actual statement, which is the love of money is the root of all evil. But there's this idea that money is somehow bad or scary. And sometimes I think people are just afraid of what they might do with it or they don't trust themselves or don't feel deserving of it, if that makes sense. So going back to David Schumacher's book, How to... Uh, the buy and hold real estate strategy. He said, strange as it sounds, some people are scared by money. I had a friend whose girlfriend inherited $5,000 in 1950. Now that was a significant amount of money back then and it drove her crazy. She put the money in the bank but it bothered her there. She was afraid to leave it in the bank because she thought the bank was going to go broke but she was also afraid to spend it. Finally, she went out and bought a car that made her feel better. She was in debt again. She had been in debt all her life, and that's what she was comfortable with. So obviously, she bought a car for more than 5000 bucks, but she put it into a car 
And then she owed the car, car manager, the finance company or whatever. And that's where her comfort level was. And I think what David Schumacher is talking about is helping you adjust your own thermostat, your own comfort zone. And if your comfort zone is having a certain amount of money in the bank and it's beyond what even some of the experts would call a rainy day fund, then you have to ask yourself, why are you hoarding that and not investing it? Even if it's just in a CD to start with, earning 4.5% for locking in for 12 months, something, using the money as an investment, as a vehicle to have your gold have babies, that then that gold can have more children and on down the line, eventually putting it into real estate, which is what I recommend, and because there is no greater vehicle for wealth building and accumulating of wealth than is real estate. There's, you're not gonna find one. I mean, building a business, and we'll talk about that, we'll talk about building a brick and mortar business here in a minute, but that's great, okay, that's wonderful, but you still, you have to be able to uh, have a, an investor's mindset first, even if you're gonna go build, maybe your next Jeff Bezos. Do you think Jeff Bezos really worried about owning the office building where he started Amazon? No. It wasn't part of his plan. Eventually, real estate would become a very big part of Jeff's plan to the point where he's buying hundreds of thousands of acres. And you could be sure he owns the office building that they're in now, but it wasn't the start. It wasn't how he started. The idea is to just lose your fear, if you've got any, of having too much. Or what I think sometimes it is, what will they think? What well, You certainly don't want somebody to think that you're you know, are you putting on airs or something? But I think some of the wealthiest people I know, you don't look at them and go, oh, yeah, they've got money. It's not about that outward appearance. It's not about having the biggest diamond. It's not about having the Rolls or Bentley. I mean, those for those that, that that is chump change, fine. Have that if you would like. But that's not really what wealth is about. That's certainly not what the Backyard Millionaire Wealth Strategy is about. That's a four-home formula that having having real long-lasting wealth in your life, generational wealth. And that generational wealth could, by the way, be those four homes or properties. It could also be the know-how. It could be a mindset. It's a, it's a lot of different things. So you needn't go out tomorrow and collect four homes if that makes you uncomfortable or you feel like, eh, I'm just not interested in that. This, this still, this idea about becoming more and being all you can become in this life and focusing on the present and making a difference to the people that you are around today, that's that's a great way to wealth in my opinion, and that's a wealthy life. David Schumacher also said, debt is a wonderful discipline. I wanna talk about this for just a second, and then I'll move off. I, as you can tell, I'm on a David Schumacher kick. It's one of the books that's always at my elbow. I have two copies. I have uh, a copy at my house, and I have a copy here in the, in the studio in the offices, and I'm constantly reading from David Schumacher, so I love to share it. Um, this idea that you can learn to save money and using debt and the discipline of saving, I think is the, I think that is truly the secret formula is having a combination. So if you run across a YouTuber, you run across somebody in social media that's promising, you know, 10X, 100X, whatever, with nothing down. I, you know, the, the, one of my favorites, I paid up $500,000 in, in debt in two weeks. It's like, mm-hmm. Thank you. The idea of learning to save and then learning to invest simultaneously to that and about who you become. Savings is just a gateway to having the mindset of an investor. You can invest with zero down. I love investing with zero down. Done it many times. 
Tiffany and I have been massively rewarded by having zero down opportunities and taking advantage of them. It's wonderful. Uh, one of them, not so good. I'll talk, maybe I'll, if we have time, maybe I'll get into that story because that's, um, wow, that was something. And hey, we did financially, we did great. But uh, how we got, anyway, it's, it's a different story. You got to have some cash on hand, even if you're going to get into a zero down investment. I will say that. That is a caveat. You must have the ability to save so as, so as to be able to replace parts and pieces of your property and to keep it up. Like we just transitioned one tenant out and another tenant in, and we took money and threw at the unit because we want it to be in tip-top shape. We want things to be tightened up. We want things to be touched up. We want things to be good. And otherwise, what happens is, and I learned this a long time ago. Tiffany and I managed an apartment building going back 30 years ago. And a guy from Kodiak rented from us. And he was a seasonal, uh, he had a seasonal tourism business over there. And he just decided, you know what, why don't we spend the winter in Homer instead of Kodiak? We'll spend the winter in Homer. And he would see Tiffany and I cleaning the halls and vacuuming and, and dusting the banister and cleaning the window in the common area in the, in the apartment building. And he said something. He said, you know, I really like seeing this. And he said, if you start to let these little things go, then you'll notice the tenants will become a little messier, a little more disrespectful of the property. And before you know it, it becomes one of those old shabby buildings long before it's time. And so I've always stayed, ever since then, I said, Randy, that's genius. I like that. So we, we like to look at things like, hey, wait a minute, this needs to be replaced. This needs to be updated. And that takes to have reserve, not just a rainy day reserve in case somebody doesn't rent your unit, but you need to also have a bit of a, a maintenance reserve. So got to plan for vacancies and all those things. So that comes back to you cannot save your way to wealth, but you can invest your way to a future fortune if you can learn to save. And it combines with debt as a discipline. So using debt wisely. Let's talk about building a brick and mortar business. I don't know about you, but I, I like the idea of owning something in my own backyard. I like owning businesses in my town, where I am, where I make my living, where I make my family, where I call home. I like to have some vested interest in that. And, and having a business and a brick and mortar business is a great way to do it is fantastic and, and great if you if you're a remote worker and you can live anywhere and you choose that here wherever here is is where you want to live i would consider even if your main check doesn't come or derive from that community i'd still recommend starting a business of some kind a brick and mortar business where you are buying one investing in one and when you do that it's okay to not have to scale in other words you do not have to be uh, what's her name um i can jamie Jamie Lynn Kearns, Kern? I can't, she started It Cosmetics. She's on the cover of Success Magazine this week, this month, and I can't remember why, I can't remember her last name, but she also has a brand new book out. She's just on Oprah, blah, blah, blah. She started a business out of a need. She had rosacea. She was a, a television reporter in Seattle or San Francisco, somewhere like that, and she had rosacea. And she realized that the makeup was caking and her, the bumps on her, her cheeks were, you know, starting to like um, resist the makeup and she didn't have anything that could be compatible with that. So she decided to solve the problem herself, found that she liked to formulate that and sell it to a few people and then scaled it up to a point where she sold it for a billion dollars. Okay, great. Good for her. Zig Ziglar used to say, bully for you. That's wonderful. That's 
that's like winning the lottery in a lot of respects. That isn't, I'm never excited about exiting. Like a lot of people like to start a business just to exit it. And that's not me. What gets me excited is about serving 10 people. Can your product, can your idea, can your plan serve 10 customers? Will 10 people actually pay you for something? Ah, yes. Now you have the beginning of a build a business you can build. And then you go from 10 to 100 and then from 100 to 1,000. Remember though, building something real in your own backyard isn't just about scaling. Sometimes you'll see a business that will scale too quickly and then either they burn out or they burn their people out or they can't keep up with demand and they've overshot the moon and they land amongst the garbage, not the stars, and they're out. And you're like, oh man, I missed that business. So scaling a small real world business in your own backyard doesn't have to be about the billion dollar exit. Like I love real estate for this reason as a business and I coach people that if you have a business and a piece of real estate, you have two businesses. Don't think about the store and the real estate synonymously. Those are two different businesses and make sure that your real estate's working for you all the while you're sleeping every single day, 366 days. Do we get 366 days this year? Is that how leap year works? I think so. So 366 days this year, your real estate should be working for you. And a, a basic tenet of business in general, like the, the number one plank of a business is to solve a problem. So if you see a problem in your own backyard and you can find the solution, then you've got a great business. And remember, just start out with 10. What Seth Godin calls the minimal, minimal viable audience or, or customer or principal, MVP. That's just the minimal. 10 people. If you can find 10 people to pay you for what it is you want to do, You've got the beginnings and the building of a business right in front of you. For me, in a lot of respects, there's a few different businesses we have, but real estate's at the heart of what we do. And with, if you're interested in a four-home formula, you get to determine how big you want your own backyard. For me, it's all about the 99603. My backyard is just that zip code, period, with, with investing in real estate. That's it. But you can decide how big yours want, you want it to be. Just remember, a brick-and-mortar investment business versus a paper and promise business like a REIT or some sort of a fund that invests in real estate as a vehicle, that ain't the same thing. So beware of that. When we return, we're going to be talking about robbing the bank and why terms are more important than price when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. A real estate agent is a man whose children learn division at school and subdivision at home. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth, Where You Are with What You've Got. That's a dated little joke. I got that from a book of uh, quips and one-liners that somebody gave to me years ago, and it's like from the 50s or something. So you get, a real estate agent's a man. <laughs> Could be anybody. Women actually make incredible real estate agents. Are you robbing the bank? I mean, you save money for what? Rainy days? old age, and that's a great plan. It really is. But remember also to add to the bank account of life memories and save up those memories for those days that are to come. Regularly depositing into the bank of your life the precious moments of everyday life will pay you dividends far beyond any other investment you could possibly make. Be on the lookout every day for investments of time and attention today that will pay you massive dividends tomorrow and all the tomorrows of your life. Fill up your bank account with the memories that will draw interest and yield joy to you. 
I wrote that in my journal this morning. Actually, yesterday. I take that back. Yesterday. And I just want to share that with you because that's something that I try to remind myself. My book, Born to Live, it's a little, I don't know, 60, 80 pages, something like that. The whole thing is about that one concept of just investing in the present, investing in now, like right here and now, where you and I are. We're sharing this moment. Whenever in time you're hearing this, we are sharing this moment. The present. That's where it's at, baby. All right, terms matter more than price. The lowest price does not make the deal of the decade. It's not about price alone. Terms matter so much more. In what terms? Well, we're talking about due diligence. Like if you got an incredible price on a hunk of junk, does it matter? If you bought the world's biggest money pit and you're bragging about how little you paid for it, what? It's irrelevant in that concept, in that context, right? I mean, it matters, price matters, but not as much as your inspection, not as much as your due diligence. Wait a minute, not just, what do you mean? There's a, the highways being diverted? You better know that, Colonel Sanders. You better know that before you make a big commercial investment. Remember, that's what happened to Colonel Sanders, actually. He had a little roadside store and deli and so forth, and the highway diverted around him. And just his store evaporated. But he had a chicken recipe with 37 herbs and spices or whatever it was. And then at the age of 66, started... That's right, Kentucky Fried Chicken. But do your due diligence. Don't be the person who buys Colonel Sanders' building not knowing the highway's being rerouted away from you, if it matters, or towards you, if you don't want that. So know what you need to know. Do due diligence. That matters a great deal more than just price. Here's another thing. Would you rather have a great seller carry, no down payment, zero interest for eight-year kind of situation or the best, best price you could get, obviously. And again, okay, I said I was going to stop talking about it. I'm going to go back to David Schumacher's book one more time. He bought, remember, a, a duplex or a triplex, I forget, from a guy who sold it to him at a fair price. I mean, the price wasn't horrible. It was okay. And he said, but David Schumacher said, I'll pay you this price, but I want a zero interest loan for seven years. And the guy said, sure, got it. And so David Schumacher, being a real estate licensee in the state of California and an appraiser, felt guilty. He's just obviously a good guy. And he said, you know what? He came back to him a few days later and said, I, I can't continue on to this deal without telling you you're making an incredibly bad deal. The interest you'll be losing over the seven or 10 years, whatever it was. He goes, that, that's a big deal. You're losing a lot of money here. And the seller said to him, I don't care. My brother-in-law back in Minneapolis said I'd never get this price. And the minute it closes, I'm going to rub it in his face and rub it in his nose. <laughs> like, okay. So he carried on. Seller carry can make all the difference. Avoiding uh, going through the rigmarole of bank financing or maybe you don't quite have enough of a down payment for them, but you do for the seller. Seller terms can make a difference. You'd rather pay a little more in the price and get these amazing, excellent terms that work for you than chiseling away at the price, which is potentially one of the third legs of the stool you're sitting on. So be careful about that. Another thing that matters more, and if not commensurate with price, getting the best price, are closing costs. Who's paying them? And okay, well, those are a finite amount. However, if you can negotiate in something that will add infinite value to you, that is a point paid by the seller, potentially. 
And so you'd rather pay a little bit more on the upfront price if they're willing to buy down your interest rate over time, that will pay you back massive dividends. That's way more important than ch chiseling another five grand off the price. Future value, right? That matters a lot. I've told the story a thousand times and I'll tell it again. So this is a thousand a first time. We bought a home that everybody was telling us we're paying too much for. Now, we have to remember when this was, this was over 20 years ago. And so we were paying 104,000 and we were being told by experts and people around us in our life saying, hey, hey, hey that's, that's not worth more than 90. I wouldn't do it. It's not worth more than 90. And the party, the seller wouldn't accept a penny less than 104, period. We'd already tried. There was no getting around it. So if we wanted the property, we had to pay the 104. And again, we, we heard what people were saying and they probably weren't wrong that we were paying too much, but guess what? We knew the future value was going up. We had our finger on the pulse of the market. We knew that that was going up. That same property we sold seven years later for 180,000. Who, who was right? Who did, did it matter? If I got, I got them down to 100, who cares, right? Future value matters more than price alone. So get the best price you can, of course. I'm not suggesting you leave money on the table, but remember that price is just one aspect of making a deal. Promises, promises. With your Millionaire Minute, I'm Chris Story. Whose promise anyway? Mine or yours? The best promise in the world is the one you make to yourself. So promise yourself to invest in yourself. Promise yourself to find a need in your marketplace and fill it. Promise yourself to begin with the end in mind. And promise yourself to follow your gut. You're probably right. And no matter what else, promise yourself to persist until you win. From the files of the Backyard Millionaire, I'm Chris Story. Millionaire Minute is brought to you by VBS Heating in Homer, Alaska. Online, vbsheating.com. Come see Amanda and the gang at VBS Heating, keeping Alaska warm for over 20 years. vbsheating.com. One step forward by looking 20 years back. All right, 20 years ago, the median price of a home in America, this is 2004, median price of a home in America, $221,000. Doesn't that seem like the Leave it to Beaver days? Oh, man, right? Ah, back in my day. You know, that was in like 2004, Pa. Like American Idol was still on, right? I mean, that's like, hello, it wasn't that long ago. It feels like a lifetime ago relative to price. It feels like only yesterday when you hear 2004. Wow, 221,000. All right, fast forward to today, 2024. Median price of a home in America, 395. You might have thought it was a little higher than that. Again, it's median. So it's as many sold above as below. So it's just median. It's just a measurement. It's just a metric to try to figure out what the market's doing. That's a 78% increase in 20 years. 78% increase in the median price of a home in those 20 years. So if we apply the same metric to the next 20 years, what will, and this is a projection. I'm not making a promise. This is a projection. What will the median price of a home be in America in 2044? Doesn't that just even just say that 2044? That's a hundred years post World War II. Wow. 
Think about that. That's mind-blowing. All right. In 2024, if things go as they've gone, if the 20, last 20 years predict what the next 20 years are going to do, the median price of a home in America is going to be $704,000. And when you look backward from that future place, when you look backward at 2024, in 2044, will you say, I should have, would have, could have? Or will you say, I'm so glad I did? Man, that was a good investment. Whew. Sure glad I did that. Wow, 2004, 20, $221,000. I guessed, because I, I was putting this idea together in my mind this morning on the treadmill, and I was like, just thinking about that idea of looking backwards 20 years and then ahead 20 years from this, this present place into the future place. Anyway, so I was just guessing as I was thinking, kind of just going over this on my mind in the, the treadmill. And, and like I said, when I got done, you know, I went to the computer and I was like, okay, let me just look it up and see for sure. I thought it was going to be somewhere around uh, 250, but it's 221. It's like, how many times have you said that? Like, I, I can't believe I didn't buy more. Well, 20 years from now, you could be saying the same thing. Here's a question I got the other day and I want to answer it here. Should I invest in commercial property? This individual you need to know not going to name names, but this individual has never invested in any property yet other than their own home. And so they want to know, should I invest in commercial property? And I said, no. I mean, maybe there's an opportunity, but not to start. Single family is what you know. You, you own a single family home. You grew up in a single family home. You have a bit of a fingertip feel for residential property, even if you go for a, a, you know, a two to four family you know, one to four, whatever, duplex on up to a fourplex, you have a feel for residential. It's the best way in. Get started with residential. And then eventually, as you become and move forward in your investing career, then start analyzing commercial. But pay attention. Like I have a, I have a client who's a major, massive commercial investor. Massive. I mean, massive. And he's analyzing right now the amount of office space in some of the major metropolitan markets, wasteland, absolute wasteland. And nobody pre-COVID could have seen that coming. So those are the kinds of things that you, if you don't understand, you could get really hurt. So I say stay in the residential, at least until you have the four home formula put into place. Well, thank you for being here for David Webb and myself. I'm Chris Story reminding you that you really can, and I do mean you, make a million bucks in your own backyard. We'll see you next time.